And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. How many of you receive emails on a regular basis? I get them just about daily for to sign up for a webinar or a course on how to get rich and usually how to do it without a lot of trouble, <laughs> right? Uh, it usually involves somebody's scheme for buying stocks or trading commodities. Uh, and the guy who is selling the course is playing off the, just the common desire of mankind to get rich. Um, like I said, with a minimum of effort. But what if you spend your lives climbing this ladder of success to get riches only to get to the top and find out it's leaning against the wrong building? What if you get rich only to discover that you're really poor? That doesn't sound too intriguing, does it? In Luke 16, Jesus gives us two parables. You've got the unrighteous steward, which Tim just read for us, but you've also got the rich man and Lazarus, which Lord willing we'll look at next week, to show that God's perspective on money is quite often very different from ours. In fact, many times it's diametrically opposed. If we want to be truly rich, we need God's perspective on money. Now, Jesus tells this first parable to his disciples, but the Pharisees, they're listening in and they're, they're kind of, you know, mocking him and what have you. And so, uh, he, he, the ensuing instruction and the next parable are really aimed primarily at the Pharisees. Now, the entire chapter should make us all stop and think carefully about our attitude toward money. God says that his ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah tells us that, right? We're God through Isaiah. But that's particularly true in regard to money. Now, since we are all prone to the world's ways, we need to think carefully about what Jesus is saying so that we follow God's way to true riches rather than the world's way to deceptive wealth and what ultimately leads to eternal poverty. Now, the parable of the unrighteous steward, it, it causes comment, uh, commentators a lot of grief. Uh, they, they call it the most difficult parable in Luke. Jesus is seemingly praising a scoundrel. But a careful look reveals that Jesus is not praising the man's crookedness. No, he, he's praising his shrewdness in using a present opportunity to provide for his inevitable future needs. Now, Jesus calls the man unrighteous and, and thereby condemning his wrong ways. What he did was wrong. But he's saying that we can learn a valuable lesson from this pagan scoundrel. Who is wiser, Jesus says, than many sons of light. That's talking about believers. He saw what was coming. He used what he had at his disposal, what was entrusted to him while he could to prepare for his future. So the lesson for us is really pretty simple. A faithful steward will use his master's money shrewdly to provide true riches for eternity. Eternity. Let's bless. Uh, let's, 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 let's pray. Father, uh, this, this parable does challenge us in, in multiple ways, Lord, and it has mostly to do with our use of money. Uh, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, uh, to see this truth of how you view money and how we should view money as well. It is important, Father, and it does have eternal significance. So, Father, speak that truth into our hearts and then give us the courage to obey. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Now, Jesus is telling us that there is a way that you can take your money with you. 
namely by wisely investing the, the resources that God has entrusted you now, entrusted you with now, in things that matter for eternity. Now, he draws four contrasts that we're going to look at this morning, and it's all to help us not miss this one point. Well, the first contrast is faithful versus unrighteous. He calls us to be faithful and not unrighteous in financial matters. So that's the first contrast, verse 10. It's between the one who is faithful and the one who is unrighteous. Jesus is saying, don't be like that unrighteous steward in the parable, but be a faithful steward as those who will give an account to their master. Now, there's two crucial parts uh, of this first uh, contrast. A, the concept of stewardship. You got to understand this. If you don't understand this, you're going to get the rest of it wrong. God owns it. We manage it. Just let that sink in. God owns it. We simply manage it. Now, implicit in Jesus' teaching, both here and elsewhere, uh, we know that God owns everything. And we are simply stewards or managers of what he has entrusted to us. We are stewards of our time, our abilities, our possession, and of course, our money. Now, in the parable, the, the steward was squandering his master's possessions. Uh, there's much debate over whether this action was illegal or legal. We can't know for sure, but it seems to me that what he was doing was not illegal or his master could have brought and would have brought charges. Yet, while staying within the letter of the law and acting with the authority given to him, the steward was not acting in the master's best interests, but in his own best interest. Now, even though the master lost a lot of money through the steward's actions, he grudgingly had to praise uh, this manager for his shrewdness. The fact is, although shrewd, the steward was still unrighteous. He was unfaithful because he was using his master's money for his own selfish ends and not for the master's profit. Now, one of the key concepts of being a steward is that the steward does not own what the master or the owner has entrusted to him. He merely manages it for the owner's purposes. Now, if the steward begins to act as if it is his own, spending the owner's resources for his personal betterment rather than the owner's benefit, yeah, he's unrighteous. Jesus says he's not a faithful steward. Now, the principle of stewardship is a fundamental concept of Christian living. And when you keep it in focus, it radically affects how you live the rest of your life. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or faithful. To be a faithful steward, you have to keep in mind at all times that you do not own your money. God does. You do not own your car. God does. You do, not, you do not own your house. God does. You do not own your very own life. God, God does, right? Paul says you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. To forget or to ignore God's purposes and to live, for whatever, live as if everything that we have is ours to use for our own purposes, that's to abuse our stewardship. It's by being unfaithful. Now, I'm going to make a kind of radical statement here. I believe that the concept of tithing 
has fostered the erroneous notion that 10% belongs to the Lord and the rest belongs to us to do, as, do, do with as we please. Now, many pastors, including myself, teach tithing because if Christians would give 10% of their income to the Lord, man, budgets would, in, would skyrocket, literally skyrocket. Statistics vary, but they're, they're, they're pretty consistent here. Polls show that American evangelicals give far less than 10%. Conservative Protestants, which is what we would fall under as Southern Baptists, conservative Protestants give on average 3 to 4%. All right? Now, that's twice as much as the mainline denominations. But before you get all big-headed, Mormons give over 6%. That's one and a half times as much as conservative evangelicals. Also, polls revealed that the more people make, the less they give as a percentage of their income. The more you earn, the more tempting it is to spend it on yourself rather than to give to the Lord's work. Now, I'm arguing that that concept of 10%... Now, the, standard, the New Testament standard for giving is not 10%, right? That's never said in the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 12, that you are to give as the Lord has prospered you. If under the law, 10% was required, which we know it was, then under grace, 10 should, 10 cent, 10% should be the bare minimum, unless you're in dire straits. I'm just going to give a little testimony here. Um, it's the first time I've ever done it in my life. It was, I don't know, 10 months ago. Something like that. It was shortly after COVID had been going. Uh, my sister-in-law got in some financial straits. Her husband left and just left her with three kids and a $1,600 a month mortgage. Not mortgage, but rent. And, I mean, it, she, she doesn't make that kind of money. He brought in most of the money for the house. So, you know, I talked with Debbie, and I actually went to the finance committee and talked to them and said, look, I said, for the next couple months, because I, I write a check weekly to the church. I just do it every week as part, as part of my nature. I've done that for years and years and years and years and years. So many years I can't remember. Uh, and so, you know, they're kind of used to seeing my check every week because I think they do it for a month at a time. And I wanted to let them know that I haven't forgotten about the church. But I went and talked to them. I said, look, this money that we normally give to the Lord, we're giving to my sister-in-law. She, she needs serious help to get through this. And so I did it. And so for two, two and a half months, the church didn't receive a penny from us. Okay? Uh, I believe it's in... Uh, somebody know where it's at? First Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 7, where it says, He that does not support his family is worse than an infidel. Uh, so, in that circumstances, I did not feel any condemnation as if God were saying, you shouldn't be doing that. That's my money. It is his money. But I was using it to support our family in a dire crisis. So, there are going to be times in your life when you may have to do that. But overall, we should be giving, as a minimum, 10% to the Lord. Paul says, it's however God has prospered you. Okay? Now... The Lord allows us to enjoy the bounty of his material blessings. 
He also wants us to store up the treasure of a good foundation for the future by being generous and ready to share. To give sporadically on impulse or to give a pittance with no view to eternity, that is not being a faithful steward. Remember, God owns it. We simply manage it. Will be the concept of accountability comes in, in here. Someday, I'm going to give an account to God for my stewardship. Now, every business manager knows that the owner will be checking the books to see how things are going. And if the business has been profitable, then the manager may receive a raise or get a bonus at the end of the year, something like that. But if the manager has been skimming off the profits to finance his new yacht and his Mercedes, well, he's going to be in trouble when the books are examined. So the idea of accountability, it is inherent in the concept of management or stewardship. Now, crucial to being a good steward is understanding the owner's purposes for the business. Now, what's the typical business in America? What's its purpose? It's to make more money. We understand that. What is our master's purpose? Jesus answered there in verse 9. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, by unrighteous wealth, Jesus simply means money. And this is what the world uses for unrighteous purposes, but it's also that which believers can use for God's purposes. Now, just as the unrighteous steward, he used his master's money to make friends for himself. Remember, reduce your bill, reduce your bill, reduce your bill. They all thought, oh, well, that's cool. So when he got fired, he would be invited into their homes. Oh, this is a guy that saved us all that money. Well, in the same way, we should use our master's money to make friends for ourselves in heaven. Friends that will last for eternity. Now, some commentators interpret the they in verse 9 to be God and the angels. But I really think it's uh, for those who have become Christians because of our faithful stewardship. Now, when earthly riches fail, and they will, when you die, your money won't mean a thing. We will have friends in heaven who are there because we gave to the cause of world evangelism. Now, each of us must ask this sobering question. Am I managing the resources that God has entrusted to me with a view to giving an account someday in light of his purpose of being glorified among all the nations, nations through the spreading of the gospel? Are you, in, in other words, are you investing in eternity? Now, God is a generous and gracious father. He gives us not only enough for our basic needs, but also for our enjoyment. So it's not wrong to enjoy many things beyond the bare essentials. But if we grasp this concept of faithful stewardship and accountability, we will answer one day, our focus is not going to be on our financial success. It's going to be on God's financial success, namely the gospel. So be faithful with your money, not unrighteous. Well, number two, the, the other next big contrast is temporal, meaning, you know, temporary, uh, versus eternal. He's saying lay up treasures in heaven. Now, the second contrast, it actually consists of three 
little contrast that all point to the same thing, namely the temporal versus the eternal. Which would you rather have? Life is short, is it not? 60, 80, 100 years if you grow to be old, right? How long is eternity? You compare, the, you compare the two, and our life here on earth is not even a speck of dust on the scale pan. So where are you going to invest? Now, in, in this contrast, Jesus contrasts a very little with much in verse 10, unrighteous wealth with true riches in verse 11, and then that which is another with that which is your own in verse 12. Now, the very little, the unrighteous wealth, and that which is another's, that all refers to temporal resources. It refers to money. It belongs to, a na- to another, namely to God, as we've seen. He owns everything. Now, the much, the true riches, and that which is your own, that refers to the eternal treasures laid up in heaven, which no man can take from you because you actually possess them. They are there. They're secure. So Jesus is saying that the faithful steward will provide true riches for eternity in contrast to, let's say, this unrighteous steward who provided himself only with temporal provisions. Now, isn't it ironic that to us, money is a big deal? But God, to God, it's a very little thing. That's what he says here, very little If you don't think that money is a big deal to people, even to God's people, just ask some dear old saint to part with some of their money to help in missions or whatever and see what kind of response you get. God views our money as a very little thing. It's actually the litmus test by which God tests us to see if we can be trusted to handle true riches, namely souls. If we are faithful in managing the money God gives us for his purposes, he will entrust eternal souls to our care. We'll have eternal rewards in heaven, even if we don't have very much in terms of possession here on this earth. Now, here's the ironic thing. You are 100% certain to lose all of the money that you accumulate here on earth. It will fail. But you're also 100% certain to keep all of the rewards that are laid up for you in heaven. They are your own. They're secure where neither moth nor rust destroys, where a thief cannot break in and steal. Yet most of God's people, they major on laying up money on earth rather than laying up treasure in heaven. Puritan Thomas Adams put it, to part with what we cannot keep that we may get that which we may not, cannot lose is a good bargain. Do you get that? We can't keep our money. Why not invest it in something that can't be taken away? He says, wealth can do us no good unless it helps us towards heaven. Well, number three, third contrast, God versus wealth. Here we have to choose our master. In verse 13, Jesus draws that third contrast that we can either serve God or money, but not both. So we have to make a basic decision as to our choice of our master. Clearly, the unrighteous steward, he was living for money. But disciples of Jesus should be living for God. Now, it's a delusion to think that you can own your money. That's not one of the choices. Either God owns you, including your money, or your money owns you. 
Let me say it again. Either God owns you, including your money, or your money owns you. Those are the only two options that he provides. Most of us would like to think that there's some, I don't know, place in the middle where we can meet, where we mostly serve God, but we can still keep our foot in the wealth game here on earth. We're like the guy who said, well, they say it's better to be poor and happy than rich and miserable. You ever heard that? Well, he suggests a median ground. He says, uh, but couldn't something be worked out such as being moderately wealthy and just a little bit moody? Jesus draws the line in the sand and he makes us ask, who is my master, God or money? It's one or the other. Now, it's sad that the world can point the finger at those who claim to be servants of Christ, but who really are serving money. They get all the press. But not all of God's servants, um, or many of God's servants, have been faithful to serve him and not money. The story is told that one day Cardinal Sadolet, a high-ranking Roman Catholic official, he was trying to coax Geneva, who had left the Roman Catholic Church. This was in the 1600s. He was trying, or 1500s. He was trying to coax them back to Rome, and he passed through Geneva incognito, in disguise. Nobody knew who he was. He wanted to have a look at the famous Protestant reformer, John Calvin. Well, he stood in front of this simple house on Cannon Street. Did the famous Calvin live in this little place? Even the bishops of Rome in that day lived in mansions surrounded by wealth and servants. Archbishops and cardinals, they lived in palaces like kings. Satellite knocked on the door. He was dumbfounded when Calvin himself, dressed in a simple black robe, answered his own door. Where were the servants? Here was the most famous man in the whole Protestant church living in a simple house, answering his own door. When Calvin died, Pope Pius IV said of him, the strength of that heretic came from the fact that money was nothing to him. What a testimony from the enemy. But boy, if that could only be said about all of us. So Jesus draws these contrasts. You've got the faithful versus the unrighteous. You've got temporal versus eternal. And you've got God versus money. The fourth, shrewd versus stupid. Use present opportunities to provide for inevitable future realities. So in the fourth contrast, the unrighteous steward got it right. And the sons of light they tend to get it wrong. Jesus is saying that unbelievers are often more shrewd in figuring out how to secure temporal wealth right here on earth than believers are in figuring out how to secure eternal riches. Now, by shrewd, Jesus does not mean dishonest. Uh, rather, as Webster defines it, astute, keen, practical. How was this unrighteous steward shrewd? Well, in two ways at least. First, he was shrewd in that he seized an opportunity while he still had time to act. He saw the handwriting on the wall, didn't he? His days were numbered. He was going to get fired. Well, so he quickly went into action. He used his authority while he still had the time to get on the good side of his master's debtors. 
Now, the application for us is pretty simple. If we hear of a window of opportunity for the gospel, we should do, we all, do all we can to seize it. If we hear of a good investment uh, that is reasonably certain to have a, uh, a decent profit and we have the funds to invest, uh, a lot of us would probably jump at that chance, right? Well, in the same way, if we hear of an opportunity for the gospel and God has given us funds to invest, we should probably go for it. Well, second, the unrighteous steward was shrewd in that he used his present resources to provide for his inevitable future realities. He knew that he was going to be fired. Uh, that would have driven many into despair, but it drove him to action, using what he had currently to provide for his future security. Well, the application for us is we know that a time is soon coming when unrighteous wealth, meaning earthly money, will fail. We'll either die or Christ will come again, and then our money will mean nothing in heaven. But we can use our money to store up treasures in heaven by making eternal friends through the gospel. Now, can you enjoy or, or can you imagine the joy someday of meeting someone in heaven who says, thank you for giving to the cause of world missions. Because you gave, missionaries came to my country and I got saved. How many remember Let's Make a Deal? It's still on today. Monty Hall was the dude back in the day, right? Um... The contestants were often told to choose between a revealed prize and one that's behind a curtain. The revealed prize was usually pretty good. Maybe a new TV, maybe a little trip to the Caribbean, whatever, something like that. But you didn't know what was behind the curtain. And the audience would always urge them, take the curtain, we want to see, take the curtain, take the curtain, right? Well, sometimes you open that curtain and what was there? What do they call it? A zonk, right? It might be 10,000 boxes of toothpicks. You know, just something that is worthless. And, and you would hear the contestant groan as he realized, oh my goodness, I made the wrong, I just gave away a perfectly good TV, you know. At other times, though, the prize behind the curtain was quite nice, like a new car or, you know, something like that. And if the contestant chose the visible prize of the TV or whatever was there, you would hear an oh throughout the, throughout the crowd as they open the curtain and reveal the car. And, and you, along with a man, feel this, oh, great day, I made the wrong choice. Now, the difference between that game and reality is this. God has promised that what is behind, what's hidden behind this curtain that we can't see behind, I'm talking about eternity, that what is there is so much better than what you can see that there is no comparison. And Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 4.18. He says, we are to look not at the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal or transient. They pass away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now the question is, will you believe God and live by faith in his promises? Will you give up temporal riches that you're going to lose anyway by investing them in his kingdom? Will you trust his promise that you will inherit eternal riches that you will never lose? Y'all, it's, it's a surefire way to get rich, truly rich, riches that can never be taken away. If you have received God's gift of eternal life, then you must live with God as your master, not money. 
So you need to ask yourself, am I living as a faithful steward, shrewdly using the resources that God has entrusted to me to lay up treasures in heaven? Or have I slipped into squandering God's resources for my own purposes, losing sight of the fact that eternity is quickly approaching? Now, every day that I live, that becomes more and more a reality. I remember... Uh, 11 years ago when I turned 50 and I thought wow I never thought I'd turn 50 well last year I turned 61 fixing to turn 62 y'all ever walk down that road and you look back and go well how did I get here I'm telling you it just goes faster the longer you live the more assured you are that you don't have very long on this earth. Where? What is your attitude towards money? Now, I urge you to learn the lesson from this scoundrel in Luke 16. Invest your master's money in that which will pay eternal dividends forever and ever and never be taken away. Forget about FDIC assuring your quarter million in the bank. This is God assuring you everything that's there will never be destroyed, will never go missing, will never be embezzled. It's a safe investment. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you just for your abundant love that you would reveal yourself to us. And in revealing yourself, you reveal truths to us about this world. This world at large is very, looks at money very differently than you do. And God, because we're in this world, uh, Father, and for many of our lives we were of this world, it's kind of ingrained in us, and it's hard for us to look at things like you do. But God, we see a picture this morning uh, that encourages us to support uh, the work, to support the gospel work on this earth, and it will pay eternal dividends. So God, I pray that you do that work in our hearts and that as I said earlier, you would give us the courage to act on it. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Sandy came to me on Monday, or Tuesday morning and she handed me, uh, you'll see it at the bottom, look on the sermon notes, the very bottom. It's our statement for the unified missions and I will just want to take a couple minutes to explain what unified missions is. All right. Unified Missions, we started about, I don't know, a dozen years ago or so. It's where you can give on a regular basis to missions. You don't have to wait to, for special offerings. We do special offerings, right? Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, the Florida Baptist Children's Home, the McGuire State Missions Offering. Those are all on here. Those are the four Southern Baptist things that we support regularly. But we also have on here the Wakulla Pregnancy Center and Church Missions. So this is the percentage that is given to each of those. So when you give a dollar, 28 cents of it goes to Lottie Moon, 18, or 27 cents, 20, 18 cents goes to Annie Armstrong, McGuire State gets 10 cents, Florida Baptist Children's Homes gets 10 cents, Wakulla Pregnancy Center gets 10 cents, and Church Missions gives 25%. So this is just a way for you to give to missions on an ongoing basis. Uh, we were down, this is a small amount, we ended up with 27, whatever it was, I don't remember. Uh, that's, that's about 40% of what we normally get, all right? So I understand COVID. Now, it's funny, we were above budget, but maybe because we didn't do any talking about unified missions throughout the year, uh, it, it, it took a hit. 
Well, this is just a great way for you to be involved in missions of a wide variety of, uh, of species here on a regular basis. Encourage you to do it. You can just write the check to the church and on the bottom put UM. That's what I do almost every week. I, I designate just a little bit of mine with a UM saying, okay, this goes into Unified Missions. It's just a way to support mission work uh, and you don't have to wait till any particular time of the year. Now, in terms of our sermon, uh, sermon we've got an unfaithful uh, manager, steward. He's using his boss's money for his own purposes. And the owner actually commends him for his shrewdness, not for his crookedness. He fired him for his crookedness. But for his shrewdness, he praised him. And Jesus says, he's smarter than many sons of light, many of you, because you're chasing that same thing, temporal success, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, Jesus says, no, that's not going to last. That's all going to fade away. It's all going to go away. Uh, you need to be investing in things of eternity. Well, you can't, you, you, won't, you won't understand that. You won't see that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're sitting out there this morning and you do not know God through his son Jesus, this world will tell you there are many ways to God. No, there's not. Jesus, um, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, here's a truth that I need to add to that. There are many ways to Christ. But you have to go through Jesus Christ. Okay, you ask God to forgive you of your sins. Jesus paid the price on the cross for those sins. You trust Jesus with your eternity. And he makes you a child of God. It's an incredible deal. You give him your sin, he gives you his righteousness. I'm talking about let's make a deal. That's a deal, folks. If you've never made that deal and you need to, you come talk to me this morning. Okay, we'll, we'll spend some time in the Word, some prayer, and I'll show you what God means by salvation. If you're a believer, you know, there's none of us that, that handle our money perfectly. It's just like any other part of sanctification. It's a growth process. Hopefully, we're trending upwards. You know, uh, day by day, we're looking more and more like Jesus Christ. We're being conformed into His image. That includes our money. My view towards money is very different than it was, say, I don't know, 25 years ago. All right? Believe it or not, I actually gave more 25 years ago. It was just one of those crazy things. God just said, I want you to give 25% of your income. I was making $300. That was my check in the Air Force. This is back in the 70s. I was making $300 every two weeks. So I wrote a check to the church for 75. I gave 75, I mean, 25%. And uh, we're, we're not at that mark now. Um, bills happen, don't they? I wish we were. Wherever you're at, you're probably not enough. You can always do more for the cause of the Lord. And it really has to do with your heart. This isn't a checkbook issue. This is a heart issue. Your checkbook will reveal your heart, right? Although we don't use checkbooks much, much anymore. You know what I'm talking about. So where are you at in this process, in this sanctification process of being conformed to the image? Are you viewing money like God views money? With a view to eternity. With a view to accountability. And standing before God and Him saying, well, here's what I entrusted to you. What did you do with it? That's between you and God. 
you talk to him about that. If you'd like to join our, our congregation, I just encourage you to come forward. We'll uh, see about getting some paperwork done um, and getting you going with us here at First Baptist. I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and stand and let's uh, close. We're going to be singing, uh, singing, I Surrender All. You know that word all encompasses money? So let's sing it with a, with a heartfelt sense this morning. Hey, thank you guys so much for being with us here this morning. I'm going to ask John Hayes, one of our deacons, if you would mind closing us in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you uh, again, Lord, for uh, just the blessings you continually give us day after day. Father, we, uh, we just pray that we might always be uh, remembering that everything we have comes from you and to use it accordingly. Watch over us, Lord, through this new week. Uh, forgive us, guide us, direct us, help us to reach out to others, Lord, and tell them the good news of Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.